for a left-handed mug. <laughs> left-handed <laughs> mug. Oh, now. <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> well, Matthew on Twitter has requested that he'd love a mug. And I have to say the requests are coming in. So this is something that is going to have to happen. I want a left-handed one. So what do I have to do? Do I have to flip around the, the, the logo, the tennis bit, so it starts at the side? So if you're holding it with your left hand, it would read tennis the other way? No, but it does because I'm left-handed. So when I hold the mug with my left hand, it starts with a T. Right. Doesn't it? Uh, so maybe if you're yes. right-handed, it's wrong. It maybe it's wrong H. for the righties. Wrong. So you've actually, your subconscious <laughs> has designed a left-handed tennis mug. Because it does, the T starts that way, doesn't it? So if you hold That's your left brilliant. hand, you're looking at it. Yeah. Oh. But the bad thing about figuring this out now is all the right-handed people now might request a right-handed mug. Yeah, which is the majority of people. So well, because only one in that. ten. So it's it's just a mug. Should we just say it's a mug? Well, I'm and confused because I drink with my right hand. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm a bit ambidextrous, so. <laughs> you can't be a bit ambidextrous. <laughs> you're ambidextrous or you're you not. Mean? You'd be a bit ambidextrous. What's a bit ambidextrous? Well, I use both hands. A bit? Yes, a bit. Can you write your name with your right hand? I could, yeah. It wouldn't be too bad, but it, it's not perfect. I don't do it often. So you're not ambidextrous. I... You can't be a bit ambidextrous. Well, okay, well, I, I do everything with my right hand apart from play tennis and write. So, so I what, don't would feel, you, what would you say I, I just am? I just don't feel you're a true left-hander. <laughs> oh, no, I've betrayed <laughs> my whole life of being boxed in as a lefty. And Someone now who was fighting for the cause on National Lefty Day turns out they're not even a proper lefty. What, what do you mean not a proper lefty? Well, you don't do a lot with your left hand. Well, that's it. Well, is Nadal left-handed? Why is he coming into it? It's about you. Because he plays tennis with his left hand, so you would say he's left-handed. But he was originally right-handed and told to play with his no, left hand. No, he just is right-handed and he just plays tennis with his left. Yeah. So am I right-handed then? If I I just write and play tennis left-handed and everything else I do right-handed? So I'm very confused. <laughs> I don't, I've never spoken so much about <laughs> being left-handed that I have done in the last couple of weeks over Montreal and Toronto and Cincinnati. It's a big deal. I think I'm over it. Okay. It's <laughs> less of a big deal th- now. There is someone that a lot of people are over and, and we talk about him every now and then. I, we don't spend too much time on him, but I think we have to. Do you have any, <laughs> do you have any idea where I'm headed? I think we have to. <laughs> well, we were commentating on his match. Nick popping up once again. Uh, we did talk about him in Rome because he had been defaulted. and Chair across he, the court. Yeah, through the chair across the court. And he'd done the interview with Ben Rothenberg. So it was quite an active week by Kyrgios standards, which is extraordinary for anybody else. So, yes, we, uh, yeah, he was back in action again. We were commentating on it together for ATP Tennis Radio. So that was very interesting, quite surreal at times. It, it, we've, I think we've talked about this before. It's a really challenging situation, I think, commentating on it. Well, no, because he, like his opponent, doesn't give you any rhythm. And you're not sure, as a commentator of any sport, as you know, you, you get into to the rhythm of it and you follow, but you just don't get anything from him. And, and it's, but it, I think what happened in Cincinnati has transcended tennis because I've had friends coming up to me that uh, aren't, don't really follow tennis, but maybe they've been listening to the news. And they've said, what about Nick Kyrgios? Oh, wow, what happened and, and what went on? So, I, and I'm sure that the majority of people listening to this podcast know what happened. But just to say, in terms of, he was playing Karen Hishanov the Russian would go through. Um, Nick Kyrgios was fined, and I'll just quickly run through these fines. 113,000 US dollars. It was ball abuse, unsportsmanlike conduct, leaving the court, audible absentee, unsportsmanlike conduct, unsportsmanlike conduct, verbal abuse, unsportsmanlike conduct, and to top it off, unsportsmanlike conduct. 
So it's safe to say that he uh, <laughs> didn't have a good day. He's not <laughs> exactly. It was an expensive trip to Cincinnati. I thought it was an expensive trip to Rome because he ended up being about, I think, twenty thousand dollars down for his antics there. But this is, uh, yeah, he did not earn that much in prize money. <laughs> what did, you, what did you feel as this was unfolding? Because it, it feels like curious. A couple of times you chuckle at a couple of things that happen. You think, oh, it's curious. But it just seemed to take a little bit of a. A little bit of a nasty turn. It did. It got personal. It took a nasty turn, particularly right at the end. I think through the match, it, what's quite difficult is that you commentate on what you're seeing, right? And you feel the, the flow of the match. And it's easy in hindsight to look at the individual incidences and, and everything that he was saying. He was ranting and raving f- through from it was at the middle of the second set. He started ranting at Fergus Murphy in the chair and then he just didn't stop. And... Each individual instance, yes, you can come back to it and say, okay, that's really out of order. That should have a a fine. But when the umpire is not doing anything, I mean, Fergus didn't respond to a lot of it. It took him a long time before he gave him a co-violation. All of those violations, he only got one on the court. That was it. Didn't get anything else. Uh, Even when he left the court to smash his rackets, he he didn't lose a point. No, he did lose a point, didn't he? He lost one point at one time. You're nodding. Just I'm agreeing. I'm well, agreeing. I'm just letting you go. I feel what? I feel you just need to Why go. Why don't you ever correct me? I'm always wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong so much. And you just look at me. My and- my, my favourite one is is the doubles team of Marte Pavic. It's Marte and Pavic. Yeah, Marte and Pavic are playing against. Are they? <laughs> I do that all the time. Impressive team. I don't know. As, as hey, I look, say, we're, we're no. at the end of a, of a couple of weeks of some some long days and brutal hours. So. And the curious match is at the end of a very long largely, day. Largely, I've listened to you so much because we spent a lot of time in the commentary box that it sort of sounds normal I, I don't even realise it's right or wrong I'm just have you noticed I'm just nodding at you I'm just smiling and nodding oh well you know I think people know what I mean anyway but yes he, he was Dr Point he, he was Dr Point wasn't he um, and but but that was it and there were so many instances where we expected Fergus Murphy I think to step in and really I felt like he probably should have been defaulted through the match because the abuse towards Fergus was just relentless. It wasn't really like he was saying anything new. It was just so consistent that nobody really should be subjected to like an hour long of just somebody just telling you that you're awful at your job. I mean, can you imagine that in any walk of life, just telling somebody that they are terrible at their job? But you almost felt as though Kyrgios was goading Fergus Murphy into doing that and Fergus yes. Murphy wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of doing that. And Which I'm not saying probably, that, yeah. I'm not saying that's the right way to handle it. I mean, afterwards, I was thinking about the Carlos Ramos-Serena Williams situation at the US Open where Carlos Ramos was going through the warning point game and everything that Carlos Ramos and he followed the book everything that Carlos Ramos went through after that the fallout for Carlos Ramos was was so awful that and maybe this has nothing to do with it was Fergus Murphy thinking I don't want to be in a situation like that because the moment he disqualifies Nick Kyrgios and that match comes to an end I cannot imagine what would have happened if he'd said those words it doesn't mean he shouldn't have said those words as you see you look you look down at those lists and you think how could he have not said those words with everything that was going on but was it a case that Fergus Murphy thought I don't want to be in that position this is what he wants me to do yeah and they've had issues shall we say in the past just a couple of tournaments that he has umpired his matches a few times and every single time they've had issues with some ridiculous comments from Nick he clearly has something about Fergus because it, it always turns personal like every single occasion but I guess as an umpire you can sit there and say do you know what 
they're all, they're going to they're going to look back at the whole match. He's going to get his comeuppance, which is what he has done. He has received a whopping great fine, and there will be further investigations as well. As that's from the quote from the ATP. You don't have to take it on the chin in terms of doing that work as an umpire. Fergus could have called the supervisor out, who was constantly on his radio discussing things with them. He wasn't sure about certain things that happened because. You know, a couple of the rackets got broken off the court. That was when Fergus Murphy Victor was walkie-talkie and said, he left the court with two rackets. He's come back and they are both broken. Because <laughs> he didn't see the footage that we saw because they've got cameras in that tunnel. And the poor fella, the poor line judge that was sent with him, as a line judge is always sent with them to just sort of stand near the toilets. So he walked through the, the glass onto the corridor like he's meant to do. Then Nick Kyrgios starts smashing up these rackets and this guy runs back the other side of the door. He's <laughs> Out there sharpish. He's probably thinking, what on earth is, is going on here? And I remember we were all just... I, I just... It's just... It became very, very uncomfortable viewing. I think that's the difficult thing. Sometimes in his matches, it's fun and you laugh and he asks a member of the crowd, where do I serve on match point or championship point as it was in Washington? Or he natters about losing white towels and you can sort of see the, the funny side. It just became so uncomfortable. And I think with... If you're commentating on the match for television, you can let it breathe because Nick Kyrgios is doing all the talking. Our job on radio was to describe everything that was happened. That was the facial expression, the antics, how he, what he, exactly what he was doing. And it just became quite uncomfortable to the point you're thinking, this isn't right. And it doesn't matter how talented you are at tennis. You, you cannot do that. You cannot turn it so personal. And I, and I believe that a number of people in the tennis world are very supportive of, of Fergus Murphy. And I think you're right. Maybe he's just thinking, you know what? I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do what he wants me to do. I think it's exactly what Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios doesn't care if he's defaulted. He really doesn't care if he's defaulted. And it was almost like he was saying, "Do it. Can you do it? Do you want to do it?" And Fergus Murphy, as you said, probably thought. You're going to get fine. There's going to be, as we've seen, as you just mentioned, there's going to be an investigation and we'll see what happens. But you just, as much as I, like most people, enjoy Nick Kyrgios matches, especially when he's on, he's fantastic. You just can't do it. I just, you, you can't turn it personal. And poor Karen Hishonov, every time we try to talk about the Russian, Kyrgios did something and we stopped talking about him again. I, I mean, know. <laughs> we were so trying. I think I even got to the point where I said, let's talk about Hashinov. And then Kyrgios did something and we stopped talking about him. And the look on the Russian's face was like, and, and at the change of ends, he would just look sideways. <laughs> it really was a situation where there were times where you almost forgot he was on the court. It was that yeah. it was that absorbing what Kyrgios was doing. It was so relentless, so, so consistent. But look, I've talked about it before and I'm not going to go through my views on Kyrgios in any great length. But in general, I don't see why people get so angry about him. There's a lot of people saying kind of... I've had enough. I can't deal with it anymore. I, you know, I'm really coming down heavy on him and that he needs to be suspended and he this and he that. You know what? He might get suspended. I personally think he should have been defaulted in the match, but I'm not going to get angry about it. That's Fergus's choice. He could have called the supervisor to come out and to help him deal with the situation. He didn't want to. I don't understand, as I say, why people really get grumpy about it. it he was out of order to Fergus. It was personal. 
called him names, uh, was really, really spat towards in his direction at the end, which actually I missed at the time. You were telling me you saw it, but I totally missed that at the time. I don't know why. Maybe I looked at you or something because you end up commentating having never looked at each other for the entire thing because you're so focused on the court because you don't want to miss anything. And then probably the one time I looked at you to, to actually engage with you in <laughs> I any was conversation. At the match. <laughs> exactly. I didn't see anything. So um, I, I completely missed that, um, which is which is so, so beyond the line I, I thought that was really outrageous it's, it's just yeah we're, we're not going to try and figure him out because I think he's got to figure himself out and what he wants before anyone else can sit and try and figure him out look he's been named in, in the Labour Cup this year the guy is a draw the guy is, is still big business but my my question to you then if if you were to be suspended and, and before when he got into trouble he said like, I'm going to see a sports psychologist and it, and, it, and it lessened the punishment do you think it would make a difference uh, from what you've seen in the, this, the continuous eruptions seemingly moments after he said look I'm growing up I'm maturing I really want to do well do you think if, if it came down and he was suspended do you actually think it would make a difference um it's hard to know to be honest the default in Rome maybe that sparked off a little bit of a change in him because he he says he has been knuckling down and that sort of thing but you, you just don't know you don't know what the trigger is and I think I, d- I doubt there is one trigger you know that he has to work on and improve and change his whole attitude towards life really and 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 his tennis what he's doing just suspending it's not like the penny's going to drop overnight it's not maturing is it it's really having to to change your attitude but that's if you want nick to be the sort of person that you think that he should be and i really hate that i really hate people banging on about well he's not fulfilling his potential well what about his potential of playing the piano he's not fulfilling that either it's not it's not up to you it, it, and it, but I had that so much especially when I stopped playing so young it's just like you throwing this away how dare you and people take it so personally as it's a personal it's your insult. right to do what you want yeah it's my life why, why is that linked to you? And I've always felt that with Kyrgios, that people get angry and take it personally. And the amount of times I've heard, if I was in his situation, I'd be busting my ass to try and get to the top <laughs> of the game and it'd be number one in the world. Shut up. You have no idea. Like You have no idea what that situation is like. You have no idea what he's done to get where he is. And actually so much of the reason why he is where he is is because he's so supremely talented. So I think that the commentary on what, not our commentary. Our commentary was delightful, obviously. <laughs> but the, the running commentary that we see through articles and social media and various different interviews, I think just takes it a bit extreme. It's tennis. You know, yes, he was out of order to Fergus. Fergus can take some offence from what happened and they will have some sort of situation to, to work out. But I don't think that people getting angry about it and saying that he shouldn't be in the sport is is fair. Also, it's up to the sport what standards they set. Now, you can disagree with it. You can say that ATP should be taking a, a firmer stand and that or Grand Slam should or, or whatever it is and that this shouldn't be allowed. But ultimately, I mean, in ice hockey, you're allowed to beat somebody up and nobody cares. It, every sport, you know, the footballers can rant and rave to referees and say pretty much, you know, not whatever they want, but they, there's a lot that they can say that you wouldn't be allowed to say in tennis. Like every sport sets a different standard for what is acceptable, the way that you behave towards officials uh, and the way that you behave towards your fellow competitors. And if... If the ATP or WTA or anybody thinks that that level is worthy of a fine, then that that's fine. As I say, it doesn't. You know, people don't 
refu- they uh, want to people don't refuse to watch something like ice hockey because oh well they get an elbow in the face and I don't want my kid to see that they, they understand that it's part of it so I think just the decision needs to be made as to what is acceptable because if you break the rules then you should be punished I mean fairly right and then at least there's some consistency across the board it was his biggest career fine Enrico Maria Riva on Twitter totaled the fines the fines started coming in in 2015 they totaled $256,000 and that yeah by far outweighs them all and also this year as you touched on we've had the ones in Rome he's getting fined every year 2016, well, that was a big one. Australian Open, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, <laughs> Shanghai. We know how much he enjoys Shanghai. Got fined there. Has he ever earned any money? <laughs> any money at all? Like, in terms of prize money, is, is, is he up or down or even? Because he's definitely down in Cincinnati. He didn't earn that and much he's definitely there. down in Shanghai. He definitely Things don't go well for him in Shanghai. <laughs> don't go to so, Shanghai, Nick. It's a big yeah. trip as well. Can I link it to, during that I touched on um, Carlos Ramos and Serena Williams at the US Open. The US Open is looming large. And Chris Clary, fabulous writer for the New York Times on Mm. Twitter, said that he was making the point that Carlos Ramos hasn't umpired a match since that final in Flushing Meadows. And he was hearing from sources that he wouldn't be in charge of however many matches she plays at the US Open. And I sort of read it and thought, right, there we go, because I know there's been the, the um, situation in the past with Carlos Bernardes and Rafa Nadal, and yes. they seem to take a break from each other. Now they seem to <laughs> they seem to happily cohabit on a tennis court. But it sparked a debate, discussion, a couple of rants on Twitter um, with Rene Stubbs, former player, saying, I've done that before. I've said there's, I don't know, X, Y, and Z who I would rather not, were not in charge of my match. And it, it sparked... It sparked the debate because there were people coming back and saying, we can't do that. You can't say I don't want Joe Bloggs on Prime that, That's ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't know what, how you feel. And also during your career, was there someone that kept popping up? I mean, have you ever, I can't imagine you doing this, but have you, <laughs> have, have you ever said I don't want whoever, whoever in charge of my match or hinted at it or suggested it? No, I haven't. I know that it goes on. I think it's always been something that's been around I agree with Renee it's not uh, an abnormal thing but I think you'd have to have quite a concrete situation to point to so the Serena situation is quite a large argument you can you can say look we don't like each other right now we don't want to do it and the same with the Rafa and Bernardas thing I think it was overtime violations or whatever it was you know he was just like this is not working for me right now And, and as I say you can point to it I don't think you can just say I don't think they're very good. I'd rather have a better umpire. I don't think they're going to listen to you. But if you can put a case forward and say, we disagree on this and it's just not moving forward consistently, I've had issues or or the one-off issue is big. So the one-off issue for Serena was big. The Carlos Bernardes thing, I think, was quite consistent. So those are the, the kind of two reasons that you can do it. But no, I've I've never been in that situation. Could that not be seen as... Not tarnishing, it's quite quite a strong word, but not harming. These are very strong words. But on the reputation of Carlos Ramos, who did everything by the book, and then there's a situation, Serena says, well, this happened, I disagree, or he was wrong, or we don't get on. He could be saying, well, no, no, I've, I've got nothing against her. 
It was yep. just a situation. I played it by the book, but he's effectively being punished. And, and again, that sounds like quite a strong word. But when you when you read something, they are not allowed or they are not doing that person's match. You sort of see it as a bit of a punishment, whereas he might be thinking, well, I just did my job. And then then therefore, maybe it might be good if Fergus Murphy and Nick Kira spend some time apart. But maybe Fergus Murphy thought if he took it to the extremes that and maybe followed the book that he should have done that probably would have led to this disqualification, then he wouldn't be in charge of any matches anymore and does that I, I'm not saying it's the umpire that comes out on the bad side but do you know what I mean that, that sort of feeling of maybe they're being punished for not necessarily I'm not saying they're always getting it right and maybe sometimes they do make a mistake but I, is there a, is, can it get a little bit tricky there if you, you feel like you're punishing someone unnecessarily necessarily it's, it's not a punishment to not do Serena matches or Rafa matches you can do everybody else's but what if she's in the final of the US Open this year he was due to do the final she's in it so he doesn't do the final well he can do a final of a different slam no but that's that's it's a slam and it's prestige and I imagine there's there's money and sort of incentives involved for that so is that is that there's all is that I'm sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit but <laughs> is that punishing him because he had every right also because he also qualified for the final by by being good through the tournament yeah yeah, you, you earn your final, for sure. To, to be uh, an umpire of the final of a, a Grand Slam is a huge deal. It takes a long time to get there. But you have to deal with bias in just in life. And when it comes to officiating, there is bias. No matter how much you try to go by the book and with uh, Ramos in that situation, he, he went by the book and I didn't really believe that there was any bias. But it's tough if somebody believes that there is bias towards them you're, you're entering a situation where you're already not on a level playing field tensions are already high and do you really want that for the final of the US so Open? it's better for everybody just to sort of just keep them apart 100 percent. you've got lots of other umpires that can so be it's used. not therefore the play because some points were being made on social media where it's, well therefore it's just the players dictating i don't like no. xyz it would have it's to requ- be they're requesting they're requesting but it would have to be they'd have to put forward a very good case they couldn't just say oh they gave me a I don't know whatever a time violation in the last match I don't really fancy them in my next round it has to be a solid case sure if I just bring it back to to, to the bias thing and being awarded uh, a final of a, of a slam and then potentially having it taken away from you because Serena's in the final or for Bernardas Nadal was in the final so he then now wasn't doing the final that happens all the time but not because of requests but because of nationalities so I know that James Kjothavong was awarded the final at Wimbledon his first ever final at Wimbledon and he couldn't do it because Andy made the final. Oh, no. So he was the only British person not supporting Andy Murray to get yeah. to the final. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> but, but that's because there are there are biases that you, you have to bring in now. 100%. James Cothafong is not going to be biased towards Andy Murray. But you you just can't guarantee that. And the thing is, is that's no issue between him and Andy. They could work all of that out. The ATP or ITF in this case at Wimbledon could be 100% convinced that he is not going to be biased at all. We all know that. It's fine. But if you're the opponent and a couple of things don't go your way, then you could that can sneak into your into your mind, into your psyche, and then it can really change the course of the match. Of course, look, it's down to you how you react to things. But all I'm saying is that biases need to be taken into consideration. And whilst... Uh, Carlos Ramos, in my opinion, had showed no bias in that match whatsoever. I felt like he just went strictly by the book. He was just a bit too cold with the whole thing. I think that was the, it's the only criticism I could possibly give to him. But then he's consistently like that. So you can't really criticise him for just doing what he always does. He didn't change anything. But it, he might now have a bias towards Serena. You don't know that. My life, I have always been so nice to every umpire, every referee. I chat to them. At the end of the match, I would say, thank you very much. That was great. And if I ever got 
frustrated. I would go and find them. I would apologise because I don't want them in a big moment to have any ounce in their mind as to whether they like me or they don't. So much of what happens with umpiring is discretionary. And you might look at point to an umpire like Carlos Ramos and say, he just went by the book. Well, yes, he did. But then you could look at Fergus and say he was very lenient on Nick in that match. You could look at other umpires and say that they're lenient or they've missed stuff or they're too harsh or whatever it is. So every umpire has a different style and a different approach to the matches. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with a player saying that there's too much tension between me and this umpire right now. There's just no good having us on the court together. And as I say, it's just a request. Could could the ATP or could the, the umpire... So the Fergus Murphy, Nick Kyrgios case, does it have to come from the player? Does it have to be Nick Kyrgios saying, I think we should be separated for a while? Or could it come from someone else that keeps them apart no I mean Fergus could have walked straight off the court and said I'm not doing another curious match again that's three out of three I'm getting offended which then is going to influence your umpiring and your officiating that's just how life works you're always going to be influenced by what you see so that is um yeah it it could come from anyone and I've seen (laughs) I've seen it was at a challenger once there was a particularly difficult player who was having a bit of a dark time (laughs) in their tennis career this is about 10 years ago and the evening before, the umpires were uh, all together, their first meeting. They do a meeting every morning as well before they kind of get wheeled out to the matches. But they were assigning the umpires their courts. And they'd already done it all. They'd done the show. They just tell them. They say, here you go, this is your match for the day. They don't get a choice. But there was one match that they hadn't assigned anyone because they had had so many requests to not do this player. <laughs> because a lot of umpires wow. really just didn't want to do this player. And they basically said opening up to the room does anybody want to do this play <laughs> wow and that and that was it really because they don't want a situation they don't want that difficulty and actually in that match after the first set the umpire had enough and switched and uh, i've never ever after seen that the first set never seen it in my life i've never seen an umpire not want to continue with a match and then switch the umpires now players could also request and we've seen that a lot could that i want a new umpire to a level can that happen could that happen they, it absolutely could happen yeah i've never seen it wow yeah, because if you get ill or something... Oh, yes, no, no, illness, replaced. I understand, I understand. But I'm talking if they've just had enough of what's going on, could they just hit the end of the set, actually, I'm done, and there's sort of an understudy ready to go? Yeah, for sure. But I don't think they would, and it would have to be something incredibly serious. And if it was that serious, one would assume the player's been defaulted. Players, you hear it all the time, I want a new umpire, saying, call the supervisor on, I want a new umpire. And it's never going to be granted because they're clearly very emotional. If after the match, a day later or whatever, you sit down with the supervisors and you explain, like, this is not a good situation. These are my reasons and this is what's been said. Now, you can't prove it, well, unless it's on TV, but a lot of the time you can't prove what's been said and what's happened, but they will have conversations with both parties and then they'll agree. They'll say, okay, fine, we're not going to do it. Either for a while, like the Bernardas thing, or or forever, which probably is the Ramos situation. (laughs) I think it might be forever. We like to keep things also quite smooth and calm in the commentary box. So maybe if if one of us, if we're on different shifts and one of us hasn't eaten the other one goes and helps out and you sort of message oh can you bring me this just just thing to eat because it can be quite a long match and you haven't eaten and this sort of happened the other day i think it, i think it was friday was it friday i don't know um one of the days of friday and and i wasn't that hungry but i just had a bit of a snack so i said if we didn't get a packet of crisps we'd be great that's just gonna that's just gonna tide me over and we were sort of ships passing in the night. So one match ended. So you sort of came in, thrust these crisps into my hand. Yes. And, and off I went. And you were going to be commentating on the Murray Brothers sort of face-off 
on the oh, doubles court. Yes. Yeah. And so that I got went. A lot of hype, didn't it? I went to watch it. Um, and it sort of opened the crisps. And I hadn't really thought about it. And I'm eating the crisps. They were spicy. Got me spicy crisps. I'm sure you know I don't eat spice, but I thought I'm just going to get through this because it's going to be fine. I was, I was crying <laughs> and a couple of people walked past me. I was in tears. They must have thought I was sort of avid Murray fans and I was so emotional that they were facing each other. Does Literally tears, I was sniffing, tears rolling down my cheeks as I was watching this doubles match unfold because the crisps you bought me. They cannot have like been. like sabotage. I don't know what you were sabotaging. They could not have been that spicy. <laughs> they were, honestly. Nose was running, sniffing, tears. Run- uh, one man, there was one man that walked past when I was watching the match and he did a sort of s- walk past, looked, and then he looked back again because I was just in tears watching this match. And he didn't ask you if you were all right, though. It's nice, isn't no, it? No, he just, I, oh. I just think he saw, look, a crying woman eating crisps. I'm just going to walk past. <laughs> <laughs> Probably she, bear. She, she's off, it's only lemon she's and chilli. But it was the chilli. There was a something about the chilli that lemon. you didn't notice, did you think? Oh, it was so funny. I was just... Basically, if I'd eaten those... Because sometimes, if you're really hungry during commentary, you might try and eat snacks at kind of change of ends. Or if your co-commentator says something, you hope they realise you've just taken a bite of something and keep talking. Because if they don't, it's not going to end well. Um, can you imagine if I'd done that? I wouldn't be able to speak. I actually wouldn't be able to speak. I'd have been crying. I've sniffing. never seen you not able to speak. It was <laughs> it's a good thing your job is talking <laughs> because you're very capable. Can I just mention school from just a little bit? Oh, oh I'm just going. Well, I, I, I feel it was quite cathartic last week's podcast. We actually got a message from one of our listeners who said that his his wife was actually very annoyed because she obviously has similar conversations about trousers and sorting things out and school uniform and apparently he doesn't listen to her when when, when they have those conversations and right. she overheard our podcast that he was listening to when I was talking about this stuff so um uh it was used to be a runner so um I apologies to your wife and if she's listening now it's just one more thing I want to say is shorts so they're going in September it's not the summer term. What is it? Autumn term going into winter. And I'm told they need shorts. And I thought, can't do it. The wall of shorts, can I just say, it's not as big. It's not as big, the wall of shorts. <laughs> well, that's progress. But, but still, I did exactly the same thing. I thought, I'm just going to go and grab a couple of pairs of shorts and we're off. Again, I had to deal with everything from skinny to slim to relaxed to baggy. I just, honestly, and I thought this time I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to get stuck in. I grabbed two that I thought. My youngest <laughs> looks like he's wearing, a, I think it was the relaxed look. He looks like he's wearing a skirt. It honestly just looks like a skirt. Right. And, and he could the, wear a skirt. Are they allowed and, to wear skirts? He and, could wear a skirt. And the, I, and, the, and the other one looks like he was wearing cycling shorts. They were so tight because <laughs> they were the skinny fit. And I just thought, I, uh, I, I think we're there. I think I've managed to sort it out now. And I think, I think I'm pretty much done. I can't believe it's such a faff. It's just, I'm sure it's not for a lot of people. <laughs> I'm sure it's. Have pos- you overcomplicated this? I'm sure, probably. I, I'm not even lying about the wall of trousers. I've never seen something so incredible, extraordinary in my life as this. So I've, no, I think I've made it through. I think, I think we're okay. So thank you everybody for listening, for, for bearing with us. <laughs> I just, it's been quite cathartic though, as I said. Well, I'm glad you're okay. Well, I've, I've got You've them Come now. out the other side. You know, the worrying thing, if, if, if uh, can I ask for some advice? Does anyone know how to stop a child from having a growth spurt? 
Oh, oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Have you got stuff that fits or have you got one size? Of course, bigger? I've got stuff that fits. <laughs> what do you think I've got? Well, because some people, well, there was always a couple of kids at school that had massively oversized jumpers. They're either hand me downs or they just thought, we'll buy you eight year olds for when you're four and it'll last four years. <laughs> I remember I had one of the twins and Charles was a little like MC Hammer. The crotch was sort of down by his sort of ankles. Um, we keep them. Uh, well, I'm just really worried that when I get back from the US Open, I've got a day before it's action stations we walk to school if one of them has a growth spurt in the next three weeks I'm I'm toast I'm finished so if anyone's got any advice I'm not going to stop feeding them but if anyone's got any advice on how to slow down just temporarily a growth spurt in a toddler I would be I'd really appreciate it no sleep because if I come back and they put the trousers on and, the, and they stop it up like above their ankles I just I'm just not sure what well, That's very in fashion right now, so that don't worry about it. They'll just be on it. Oh, so that would be good. Yeah, above the ankles, apparently. So I hear that's that's in. Okay, so advice, welcome. A question for you from your tennis days. Question from me, not a listener. Oh. Um, can you remember, I'm not saying you did a lot, I'm not casting aspersions here. I don't want you to get all defensive, <laughs> that look on your face. Where are we going? Um, can you remember the most double faults you put down in a match I mean did you have an extreme I know you're beautiful lefty swinging serve but did, did you <laughs> so ever left handed it's ridiculous did, sort of left handed did you ever have one of those days you came up and you thought you've got to be kidding me I had one day when I fully got the yips and it's something that not I don't think every athlete experiences it when you fully just f- lose all coordination you just forget how to hit a shot that you've done millions of times that was painful. I started off my match with eight double faults. My first two services oh, wow. were all double faults. So hang on, what was this? Are we talking uh, centre court somewhere, high profile? No. Are we talking back quarters behind a hedge? Yeah, we're talking, yeah. There's a tournament uh, in Australia. And I, yeah, just completely forgot how to serve it was through the warm-up as well but as in I just didn't know what my arms and legs were doing I'm gonna blame jet lag something like that <laughs> I've got no idea but I, I I just I couldn't time anything I completely missed the ball once and I was trying to hit the, hit it <laughs> it wasn't like I wasn't trying and um, my arms and legs I mean the serve is the is the shot that needs the most coordination but I think in total I hit about 13, 14 double faults in that match. I managed to win. <laughs> and then the next day, woke up, totally back to normal. They thought you were lulling them into a false sense of security. Oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> yeah, they just weren't very good. Did you get a big round of applause <laughs> when you got your first serving? No, uh, well, no, I did. I, mean, I it was supposed oh, come it was on, after two than games normal. of double faults. It was louder than normal and she laughed, which was, uh, which was nice of her. Uh, but... <laughs> At least she wasn't laughing at the double fault. But I, I properly just <laughs> patted it in as well. It was it didn't even resemble a serve. I, I, I just couldn't serve. If you if you had watched me serve at that time, you would have thought I was just a, a park player. It was so ridiculous. I didn't know what I was doing. I was panicking. My coach at the side of the court was like, I'm not sure what we're going to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> I think the comment I got after that was, how can you be as good as you are? Bearing in mind at the time, I think I was ranked about 180. <laughs> Was how can you be as good as you are and manage to play that badly? How is that possible? And win. And I won, right? <laughs> how is that possible? So I don't know. Maybe it's worth looking into. But as I say, I woke up the next day and I was absolutely fine. It hasn't... I'm not saying it's that extreme in, in, in terms of two games worth of double faults, but numbers, we're talking similar if not more. Sasha Zverev at the moment. And we know earlier in the year there were a few things off court that were distracting him 
he was preoccupied, it was affecting the tennis. But it's it's now become a theme, the double faults in the Sasha's very of, you know they're coming, you know it's going to happen. Yep. And he doesn't have to be, yes, okay, you can say the obvious when he's break points down, or his, but they are, they are just, the numbers of double faults from Sasha's very at the moment is incredible. Yeah, 20 in his match in Cincinnati quite extraordinary I mean I fully had the yips and I didn't manage 20 <laughs> so I don't even know how that is is possible and it's match after match after match with him I mean it, it's becoming Averaging a bit one of, a game becoming yeah. six it's, a set it's becoming a theme with him so it's it's almost like he's, he's got into this I mean how do you get out of that for you they were sort of all in one big wedge then you yeah. managed to pat the ball in and, and you sort of cross the finish line but but he's he can't seem to get out of this rut at the moment no he can't it's quite tough to watch actually isn't it I think it's with technique, it doesn't matter if you have technical vulnerabilities when everything's going well. So when you're rolling and you're, you're, you're new and you're up and coming or just when you feel good, it doesn't matter because you can deliver what you want to on the court and you can just execute to a certain level. When things go badly and you lose your confidence or you're exhausted and you feel tired or or you're distracted, whatever else is going on, that is when the technical vulnerabilities come out of the woodwork. And when you look at the top guys, Djokovic and Federer particularly, they just don't have any technical vulnerabilities that come out of the woodwork. Okay, you could jam Federer up high on the backhand side and you could get to him that way, but it's not a technical vulnerability. That's just that's that's, a, that's a, an area of his game that you're going to try and attack. And so whenever they don't feel confident or they're exhausted or whatever, they can just rely on their shots and they can just rely on the fact that they've done things hundreds of thousands of times, repetition, repetition, and they just kind of do it. They just run around and make balls and it's not going to be fun. It's not going to feel great, but their shots aren't going to let them down. And the trouble for Zverev is that he does have a technical vulnerability on his second serve. And when he was doing really well, there's no issue at all. He's absolutely, it's fine because he can deal with it. But when things just feel horrible what do you just rely on and he just doesn't quite have that part of his serve that that he can rely on and the reason that those top two Federer and Djokovic have been so extraordinarily dominant is their level of efficiency that is no accident the Federer game as stylish as it is it's it's all deliberate Djokovic is exactly the same and Nadal on clay is very efficient the way that he moves the way that he plays uh, his is slightly different it's a bit more about brute force um, but when you can apply yourself and have the level of intensity that Nadal has which nobody else can nobody else has ever come close to what Nadal is able to produce on the court then you don't need to worry about a day when you don't feel like it because that's what he relies on he relies on busting himself and just forcing his way through matches so for something like Asverev it's very concerning but also for some of the other younger guys coming up you can't ignore the technical issues just because you're winning you look at somebody like Ostapenko with her second serve well anybody that wants to work on it with her will more than likely I don't know I've no idea but more than likely be, be faced with the answer I won the French Open with this serve it's very difficult to argue against that when you say we need to work on it. Well, why? It's the same as it was when I won the French Open. Why on earth would I change it? I suddenly thought, and this ties in with my next question. I feel like I've got loads of questions for you. I think it's because we're actually together at this tournament and we can talk. Um, I was going to ask you about Naomi Sok. Is she ready? Can she defend her US Open title? Then I remembered we've got to get predictions because next time we speak, the tournament will be underway and that will be too late. So you've got to put your names down now. Oh, Ooh. Have you even thought about this? I haven't thought about it. What, you can't just spring this well, no, on No, I've, I've had to. This I've had to. Basically this run is, out of time. This is it. This is it. 
You've seen enough it? tennis. Go, okay, this. you go first then. Oh, I see. Well, firstly, answer the question. Asaka, this might lead to, well, whether you're going to pick her or not. Is she ready? Can she defend her US Open title? She can, but I don't think she will. Was that it? That's all yeah. the time I've got to think? Yeah. And That's then it's it. back to me. <laughs> okay, let's start with the men. Well, I'm going with Djokovic because at the beginning of the year, in the yeah. time cats you did for ATP Tennis Radio, I put him for all four. So I'm not changing. Yeah. And I'm going for Novak Djokovic in Flushing Meadows to lift the trophy. Yes, uh, I agree. Djokovic. Done. Next. Who did you say at the start of the year? Del Potro. Oh, yeah, it's no. not going to happen, is he it? He doesn't have a chance. No, he doesn't have a chance. He's not playing. Um, can you go first with the women? Why? This, you did this to me last this is, time. You <laughs> always go first with the men that's the easy one. And then you say to me, it's your turn to do the women. Because no. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Come uh, on, you go first. US Come Open. Uh, Come on. Oh, very, oh. very difficult. I tell you what, Svetlana Kuznetsova absolutely storming it. She's won there before. It was an awfully long time ago. Um, right, okay. Let's do right, so, so, names. So let me give you the top. I'm not saying it has to come for the top 10. Let me just give you the top 10. Naomi Saki, you've said no. Ash Barty, Karolina Pliskova, Simona Halep, Alina Svitolina, Petra Kvitova, Kiki Burtons, Serena Williams, Arena Sabalenka and Sloane Stevens. So they are, that's your top 10. Okay. And then we've got Madison Keys at 13, Kerber at 14, Bianca Andreescu, 15. Um, I mean, Carolyn Wozniacki at 19, Sophia Kennan, a lot of people talking about the youngster at 20. And I see you go down, down and down. Okay. And Gabriela Muguruza, there, I'm giving you one more at 26. Pliskova. Done. No uh, reason. Don't have one. Oh, Next. You see? And now it's, now it's back to me. I I don't know. Can I leave it as I don't know? I said that Irina Sabalenka would win a Grand Slam. Yeah. It's just not going to be in a couple of weeks' time. Okay. <laughs> so she might have to wait a little while longer. So, long term. Long term. So, so looking. Long, long term goals. <laughs> I am going to go. I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> Simone Hallett. Oh, Okay. Double Grand Slam champ. I just Can she I, get two in a row. I haven't got a reason. I wouldn't. You know me. I'm not a betting person because if I was, I'd have. I'd have. Loved, I'd have lost a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Family, belongings, money, it'd all be gone. Um, uh, so I wouldn't be confident enough even to bet you. I don't know dinner on that happening. I see Pliskova. I think. I think it's a good shout, Pliskova. Thank but you very much. I'm just. Just not I'll sure. Take the glory now for that shout. Thank I'm you. just Thank not you. sure. Well, she's got to win it first. And I was going to go Ash Barty. But I'm not sure. I mean, that would be that would she's be a, taken to world number one pretty well. She's not in a world number one anymore. But, but that would be beyond. She had a week. Went, <laughs> she did all right. <laughs> went well. Well, she lost in Toronto, so it didn't go well. But she did well picking up in Cincinnati. Be beyond meteoric if that was to be her year. And so I think I think Simone Hallett because I see you're not giving a reason. I'm going to try and I'm going to try and flesh this out because she's she's experienced. She's a Grand Slam champion. And you've got that feeling okay. of getting through those matches, keeping the body together, fighting. Yeah. Do you want to change? No. Do you want to swap? No. We could do a swap. No. Sure? No. Okay. So there are no. predictions. <laughs> um, All done. I haven't talked about scheduling yet. Well, as I say, I think we'll save that for Christmas special or something. It's going to be waiting a while. <laughs> How do you plan your schedule for the season ahead? Actually, it's probably a sensible time to do yes, it. Yes. Actually. Yeah? All right. Let's do that. Okay. In the off-season. Scheduling to come. Um, I think we're all there with school uniform, so that's done. Good. Yeah? Well, enjoy the US Open. Well, we're going to be talking. We'll talk during that, and let's see if any of our predictions come true, and you're going to be working on mugs. 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 Left-handed. (laughs) 